Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Uh, This morning, I'm starting uh, Ask It Part 3. We're going to be doing some scripture readings in Matthew 7, 5, Isaiah 9, and Philippians 3. So uh, if you kind of want to get your Bibles, I'll be uh, going uh, going to those passages in a moment. So this series, if you're new, is that we allow the congregation to submit questions. And I do my best to try to answer those uh, from the pulpit. We've done it for several years, so it's always fun. It's enlightening to see what, what you're thinking. Uh, gives me a chance to uh, you know answer questions that people ask. So the past few weeks, we've answered or talked about, do you believe in UFOs? And are there other creations of God out there? Should Christians have wealth? The scripture says Jesus has no place to lay his head? Can Christians be depressed? Is suicide, in your opinion, an automatic sentence to eternal damnation? Last week we talked about, do you think, what do you think about things like the Holy Grail, the Shroud of Turin, and other religious facts? Why in the Old Testament is there so much war and death? How do you deal with unforgiveness, even though I pray to forgive? So we've kind of covered that, and I try to, you know, uh, answer the questions that are of the greatest interest to, you know, the greatest number of people. So uh, I'm almost finished with my questions. If you got another one, you might can slip it in because next week's the last week. So, uh, all right. So question number one this morning. Let's start. Let's have a little fun. All right. It's getting close to the time that I should have the talk with my teen. I'm a little nervous and unsure. Any advice? Now, what talk would they be referring to? Because there's a lot of talks, you know, like... Your room is so terrible, the health department should come by, you know, uh, you drive like a crazy person. You know, there's all kinds of talks that, that maybe we should have, but, but this one, you know, I think we know the topic of this. So, uh, so this question repre- uh, references a specific conversation about sex and sexuality with the, you know, with their teen, with their teenagers. So I want to, talk about that for a moment because I think it's a great a great question especially in the day and age that we live today so three facts concerning sex and sexuality that every parent should remember okay so as you're kind of thinking through how am I going to handle this topic with my kid here's just some some theological background on this uh number one God designed it God created it, okay? God designed it. God created it. So sex, sexuality, it's a God thing. It's not evil. It's not bad. It is wonderful, and it is beautiful, okay? So sometimes we're concerned, you know, about how it's portrayed, you know, in media and on TV, but it's good. It's good. Amen? It's good. Boy, you're quiet, but you didn't think that way on your honeymoon night, did you? Yeah, yeah. You were thanking God for his gift. And it wasn't salvation and grace you were thanking him for. All right? So it's God designed it. God created it. It's good. Within each person is a natural God-given curiosity about the opposite sex and sexuality, okay? There's just this curiosity. It's very, it's very natural. When, when, when Adam saw Eve the very first time and she did not have one fig leaf on, okay, he said, for this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, okay? He was, you know, just this wonder that, that set in upon his life, all right? So there's this natural curiosity. And I want to say somewhere around the age of eight, you know, they start asking questions or, 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 or having this curiosity. And it is natural 
and it is healthy. It is not sinful. It is, you know, just part of being, you know, a, a, a regular human being. Now, I've seen parents where this topic is off limits. They won't discuss it. They view it kind of evil and bad. There's no discussion. And, and I want to say, do, don't make this topic off limits for your household, okay? Don't, don't take, it's a, it's a normal topic, Okay, it's a normal thing in life, and it should be a normal part of, of family conversation. So it's not something that should be shunned, but it's something that should be embraced at, at the right time. So provide information to them like you would do on any other topic. So for instance, when your child says, where do babies come from? Okay, don't you dare say the stork. Don't you dare say that. You know, no, no, no. This is our opportunity to go, you know what? You know, moms and dads, they fall in love and, and they love each other so much. And there's a point, you know, in time that a, a baby will, you know, come in your mom's tummy just as a sign of, you know, of how much they love each other. There are age-appropriate ways that you can address this. Some parents, they will not discuss it, Okay. But this needs to be kind of a natural, a natural part. We don't need to fret or panic when it is raised. So not only is there this uh, healthy curiosity about sex, but there's also a God-given sex drive as well. Okay, so yes, they want the information, but also in the heart of every individual, there's this inclination, this natural these natural biological urges that God put in our heart to, to love and, and procreate. And we don't need to be upset with that. But as a parent, we need to mentor that and provide accountability for that. That's just, it's just part of growing up, especially in their teen years. All of a sudden, like in one week, all the hormones explode. And before long, man, you are, you've got a different child on your hands. So it's not a time to be concerned. It's just a time to mentor that and talk about that. But also as they get into relationships, we understand as the adult that, that those natural urges. And now we provide accountability and we provide, you know, uh, information, uh, information concerning that. So the question, you know, uh, should, should they have the talk? Can you give any advice? The answer is yes. You need, you need to have the talk. The talk, all right? You know, remember when your parents had the talk with you and you realized it was that moment? You're like, oh my goodness gracious, you know. But I want to say too, that talk is very biblical, okay. Deuteronomy 6 says when you're walking down the road, when you're laying down at night, when you're sitting around the house, talk to them about the things of God, okay. Put Thing, the things of God in their heart. Proverbs, and you know this, train up a child in the way which they should go. This is part of that training. This is part of those God conversations that you have over, over a period of time. Now, some parents won't have this conversation because it's awkward to them or they don't think that it's important, okay? But I think that it's very biblically important and I encourage you to do that. So a few thoughts. Uh, parents have to lay the biblical foundation for sex and sexuality and confront the sexually immoral culture. So, you know, if you don't have, take advantage of your voice, they're going to be looking for information that will be filled in by their school curriculum, movies, social media, and today's wisdom that we know is TikTok, okay? You can get a lot of crazy stuff from, from TikTok. So if you don't have some voice, they will find their information somewhere. And you may be allowing terrible seeds to be planted in their heart that will give a harvest of, of bitterness and weeping later on. So, so parents need to lay the biblical foundation and to confront the sexually immoral culture. Here's your chance to kind of knock down some things that you see, you know, that you see and notice. Also, let this topic be part of the family conversation as they grow up. So hopefully, 
the talk won't just be one conversation when they are older, but it is connected with a series of age-appropriate conversations throughout their life because it shouldn't be off-topic, it's not evil, it's natural and it's normal. And when they have questions, we answer those questions. Or when there are certain things that arise in your life, that's your, that's your moment as a parent to kind of speak in and mentor. So... I think the talk needs to happen, but it also needs to be connected with a series of age-appropriate talks throughout their life as well. And listen, nobody has greater influence than you on this. Josh and I can be a help and a resource, you know, but you're the one that carries the most influence in their life. All right, something else. When should the talk happen? Okay, recommended age, I'm going to say 11 to 13. Okay, now I've changed there. I've changed. It used to be, in my mind, 14 or 15 years of age. But now, sexually explicit material is available to, to kids much younger, elementary school, junior high school. So we need to kind of rethink that because we don't want things planted in their heart before their values are settled in a certain area or before there's a maturity or the, the maturity has developed for them to begin to deal with these kind of things. So I just think, you know, and I, I've changed my mind in the last 10 years. I mean, I think it just needs to be, uh, I just think it needs to be moved up and it needs to be earlier. And that's just, you know, that just my, that's just mine. We have that conversation when we talk to them about information that they may need, boundaries, blessings, consequences, you know, whatever you want to put in there. But I, I just think it needs to be a little a little earlier, you know, and that's just, just my thought. Plan and prepare in advance, all right? Parents, don't wing it in this moment, okay? I know you say, the Bible says, just open my mouth and God will fill it. Maybe not on this topic, okay? You might want to think through that just a little bit, what you want to cover, but also you can go to your child and go, hey, in a couple weeks, I want to have a conversation with you, you know, about life and relationships and dating and love and that whole kind of thing. That way they kind of, they're kind of prepared for it. It gives you a chance to, you know, gives you a chance to prepare for it. But I want to say, I think it's an important moment for a parent and child. That's why I say write some things down, kind of, kind of get in your heart what you want to accomplish, and I believe God can bless that, bless that moment. And then, and then just the last thing, you know, use other faith-based resources as well. There's a lot of good stuff out there, so you don't have to just create everything yourself. There are two books that I want to recommend. Uh, Jen Sex YZ, Love, Sex, Sexuality, and Youth by Jeff Grinnell. That's more high school age. Chasing Love. I've given away 50 of those books here in this church. We're going through that. Our family devotions, we're going through that book uh, chapter by chapter. And also, I mean, those... If you're on the YouVersion app, there are YouTube videos that the link is on there. Just some things as a parent that just can kind of can kind of help you get some information as you as you prepare for this. Now, let me just say to the students, let me just talk to you uh, just just for a second. On February the 28th and March the 7th, I did two messages for you. One is human sexuality. The other is sex and singles. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, I want you to listen to it, okay? Because I, I talk to you uh, specifically. So that's on YouTube, Facebook, you know, iTunes. I, I want to say to students that it's just, it's a completely different world that you live in today than what most of us lived in when we, when we were your age. But I just want to remind you, you know, as you see, like, it seems like everybody on media, you know, social media, all of that, man, they have no, you know, no boundaries when it comes to this area. I just want to remind you of something. God is not trying to rob you of the joy of sex and sexuality, okay? He's not. He created it. He designed it, you know, for, for your pleasure and enjoyment and procreation, you know. But, but it, there's also boundaries as well. And they just keep you from harm. So at the right time, man, you know, it can happen you know, it can happen in your life. So when I was a youth pastor, it was a Wednesday night after church, and one of my girls that had been in my youth ministry for a while, she said, this is, I'm going to talk to everybody, but especially the students. She said, hey, I just need to talk to you for a second after church. So we go in my office. She brings her friend, 
Man, she just burst, starts crying. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm pregnant, okay? I, I was shocked. It was one of my, one of my church, church girls. I mean, we just, you know, we, you know, we talked about it for a few moments, and we prayed about it, and just, and she said, hey, I haven't told my parents, and I, I need to tell my parents, and I need to tell them tonight. They, they were at church on Wednesday night, the parents. I'm like, wow. So I leave my office. I go find her parents. It was after church. They were just visiting with other people. And I said, hey, I, I need you to come to my office for a moment. Your daughter uh, wants to tell you something. And they said, what, what, what's wrong? And I said, I, I just need you to come with me. So we're, we're walking down the hall to my office. I mean, I just hear the mother. She starts crying. She has no idea, you know, what, what's going on. But already she knew, you know, she knew something was up. You know, go in the office and sit down. And, of course, if, if you could video something like that, I think, I think it would impact, you know, every student. When you have to have that conversation with your parents that, man, that you've had a huge life change. And man, I saw parents just broken. I mean, just shattered. And the young lady, and I, and I want to tell you something, things like that are not the end of the world, all right? But they are huge life changes when it comes to education and life plan and relationship with God and all of that. And it was just, I mean, it was a moment that I will never forget. Let me say this to students. When you announce to your family that you're, you're pregnant or you're your, you know, your wife is pregnant. You want that to be greeted with, greeted with joy, okay? You, you, want it, you want it to be the, one of the happiest moments of your life, okay? You don't want it kind of dealt with with brokenness and, and sorrow. So I just want to say to every student, okay, man, you just wait and you just do it God's way. You just be patient. Find the person that God has for you. And I promise you, there's a day that you will just thank God that you were patient and that you lived by God's word and you will see God's hand of blessing, you know, on your life. So to the parents, yes, at some point you need to have the talk. Grab you a handkerchief, grab you an espresso, you know, whatever you think you need for that moment. But I think really it's part of parenting and especially with the aggressive cultural, you know, uh, thinking when it comes to sex and sexuality today. So, all right. So, parents, if I can help with any way with, with that uh, later, I'll, I'll do that. So, uh, all right. Question number two. Unusual question here. So, what is the most unusual and hardest part of your job as a pastor? Okay. Now, the hardest part, you want me to start naming names? Is that what you want me to do? Because... I got a list. I'm just kidding. So the most unusual, the most unusual is that from the, the, the very beginning, you are connected with medicine, hospitals, sickness from the very beginning. You know, when you, when you have reverend by your name, immediately, I mean, you are, you are, you know, in surgeries and hospitals and people telling you your, their medical situations. So I was, I was very young. I mean, I was very young and green and we got a call, the pastor and I to go to the hospital. A guy wasn't doing well. So we drive to the hospital and I let him off. He goes upstairs. We were at UAB. I had to go down the road to park, you know, uh, just took me forever to get there. In the meantime, the man that we were going to visit died, okay? He died. Now, there's no cell phones, okay? I have no idea, okay? I walk in the hospital room. He just had died. The wife is sitting there patting his hand. He's still got the IV. Can I just remind you, I didn't know he was dead, okay? I didn't know that. I walk in... And I promise you, this is my first sentence, okay? He's looking better than I've seen him in a long time. <laughs> and she starts to cry, which is my sign. Baby, you're on target. Follow up with that. So I just come up with more things, and the pastor's looking at me funny, and finally, he takes me outside and says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm comforting the family. That's what we do. He's dead. I didn't know he was dead. Oh, my gosh. 
or or unusual people always tell you every part of their medical you know their medical history okay more than i ever want to know okay so i'm at lunch with kayla one day it was in tallahassee and the waitress brings our food and and she said are you the pastor at generations and i said i sure am she said hey i've i've been there a couple of times hey um can I get you to pray for me? And I said, well, sure, sure. She said, I'm just having some issues with my stomach. I said, hey, I'll be more than happy to pray with you. She said, well, it's not just my stomach, but I'm having bloating, okay? I'm having bloating, okay? I said, okay, all right, all right, I, I'll pray for you. She said, well, in actuality, I have intestinal parasites, okay? Look, look, people think the more they can gross you out, the harder that you will pray for them. And I'm just telling you, that's not the way it is with me. So I just said, I said, yes, I will be more than happy to pray for you, and go ahead and bring me a to-go box. I think I'm done for today, so, uh, you know. And, and then last, when it comes to just the medic, you find yourself in medical situations, like from the very beginning of ministry, people started telling me their blood pressure, you know, their blood pressure numbers, okay? I mean, my whole life, even this week, this Tuesday, somebody's telling me their blood pressure. And I'm going to be honest. I'm going I'm to reveal a secret that I've never said publicly. I have no idea what it means. I couldn't tell you bad or good. I just, I have no idea. So, I have developed a response that has saved me over the course of years. So, anytime somebody tells me their blood pressure, I go, Wow. Good or bad, it covers me, okay? It covers me. Now, all my medical people, I've just revealed my secret, so I need some kind of hint on what's good or bad. So unusual, it's always this kind of interface with, you know, with medical things, and I have tons of hospital stories. The, the dead man was the worst one, but uh, so, so what's, a, what's a hard part? What's a hard part? I, I say... Um, a couple of things, but remaining biblically pure, pure when the culture runs contrary, okay? Remaining biblically pure when the culture is running almost the complete opposite of, of teachings. Now, in the church and in other places, they call it doctrine, which is just the set of beliefs. Every organization kind of has these beliefs, okay? And, uh, you know, it's kind of like if you've ever been to the beach, and you swam out in the ocean, and we always swim directly in front of our umbrella, right? And then in about 10 minutes, you look, and you're 20 yards away, down, downstream, okay? So in some ways, it's like that. I mean, you're trying to, trying to keep the church, you know, biblically pure. But man, there's this broadside when it comes from culture. And it's a great challenge to keep the church, you know, kind of... And it's proper, it's proper truth. Second Timothy talks about this. It says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Okay? Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers. So first of all, it's not a seeking after truth. It is, it is you know, a self-centered truth. And they, they gather a great number of teachers, which is so easy to do today because you can go to YouTube and podcasts and you can find enough people that you can cobble together that can support anything that you want to believe. Okay? So, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teacher, teachers to say what itching ears want to hear, okay? And that is the, that's the day that we are living in right now. So, some of the doctrinal challenges that, that we face now, any belief or spiritual practice will get you to heaven if you are sincere, Okay? All right, so now in our world, we just we run across this that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you have some spiritual belief, you know, and, and sincerity is the new pathway to salvation. So it doesn't matter what you believe 
as long as you are sincere. So people would say, you know, man, you guys need to be more inclusive. You need, you're a little too narrow in your thinking, you know. Uh, and, and I just want to remind everyone, and this is part of the, the challenge against that, man, there is one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus. And it doesn't matter what Oprah says or thinks, Okay. Look at what Jesus said. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many may enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. Now, the good thing about that is that everybody has an invitation there. There's no exclusion to that. So, one great challenge is preaching the gospel of Jesus, and that Jesus is our pathway to heaven when everyone else or a lot of culture says, hey, you just need to be benevolent, be good, just be spiritual, whatever that means. So that's one thing that you constantly have to pound in the ground as far as doctrine. There are other things like issues of human sexuality that we've dealt with in the last few weeks. Pastors have changed their message to accommodate, you know, uh, uh, marriage changes, LGBTQ, major denominations have given in and just waved the white, you know, just waved the white flag. Can I just say something to you this morning? I don't want to be culturally relevant if it takes me outside of the truth of God's word. Okay? So once you start cutting away parts of the Bible that you don't like, where do you stop? You know, if we're going to do this, if we're going to do this to be more modern, where, where do we stop there? But that is, I'm just telling you, that issue is constantly something that, that we battle, not, not just in practice here, but in the minds of many, especially younger, younger believers. And also something else, religious liberty and freedom, okay? I'm really concerned that the pulpit will be free to preach God's word. And I want to say what I just mentioned, issues of human sexuality. Listen to me. This is going to be the great clash between church and state. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. They will, they will start pulling away the tax benefit that you get from giving to charitable organizations, religious or not. Or they will remove the tax exemption that churches have enjoyed. If you don't preach a certain doctrine or a certain belief. But I just want you to know the truth of God's word is not for sale. Okay? Whatever happens, listen to me. Listen, we're going to follow God. We're going to follow God's word. And if it brings us applause and admiration by the world, so be it. But if it brings cancellation and financial penalty, we're going to follow the truth of God's word and, and trust that God will keep his hand on us. Okay? So those, those are some of the concerns that I have. There are other ones that I just don't have time to mention, but it's like the beach. You know, man, if you're not careful, slowly your church will drift. And I have to re-go back from time to time. I did that whole series in February, Naked and Unashamed. It was for practical value, but also it's doctrinal value that I can take and, and repound the, the stakes of, of where we need to live at as well. So, last thing, one of the hardest things too, one of the hardest things, is seeing people walk away from God, okay? I've been doing this a long time, decades, decades, okay? Now, let's be honest with you, <clears throat> there are there, there are times, like on a Sunday, I don't always see the faces that are here. I see the empty chairs where people used to sit, okay? Sometimes I can tell you who's missing more than I can tell you who's there. It still breaks, breaks my heart to see people who've known the Lord and walked in His way and they've, they've drifted away. It's kind of like, at your dinner table, and there's a seat that's missing. It's just not the same without the seats, without the seats full. It's the same here, and I just, I feel that. Man, it's just, you know, like, 
It just it break, you know, it just it, it breaks my heart. Hebrews 2 1 says, We must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift. So we, we need to give heed to what we he uses the term drift, like at the beach. You know, just a little bit, a little bit at a time, you know. Listen, listen, I mean, it breaks my heart. Maybe, you know, you, you're, you're here today, you know, and, and maybe you're the, the prodigal that's kind of drifted. Maybe you're watching online. You know, it's never the intention of anyone to drift away or to become the prodigal. The prodigal didn't plan on being the prodigal. The prodigal just planned to go and have a little fun. It wasn't his plan where it ended up. You know, this, this pandemic has been terrible. It's been terrible for people, all right? And maybe you're online or here, and this, this pandemic has had a, it's kind of wreaked havoc on your relationship with God, you know, just the inability to come or connect or for, for whatever reason. Or maybe it provided you an excuse where you could just kind of get out of, you know, the, the house of God for a little while. But, man, you, you look and, man, you, you, you've kind of drifted. Hey, what I want to tell you, the prodigal life is not always fun. The prodigal life, too, is sometimes filled with scars and regrets and things that you wish that you could change, okay? But I want to say this morning, too, that it doesn't matter what you've done or how long you've been gone home. As long as you've been gone, the welcome home sign on the Father's house is always there. There's always a place. There's always a place. So that's, that's one of the hardest things to me to see people, to see people kind of, you know, kind of drift. And we'll, we'll talk about that, you know, at, at the end of service. Last question this morning. Why did Jewish people not accept Jesus as the Messiah? Why did Jewish people not accept Jesus as the Messiah? Now, first of all, I believe in the covenant God made with Abraham and, and with the Hebrew people, but it's kind of odd that the Jewish Messiah, re- rejected by Jewish people initially, okay, accepted by Gentile people, preached around the world, and even back to Jewish people. It's just kind of odd how that entire, you know, that entire thing works. So let's, let's, let's look at this because I think it's a great, I think it's a great question. Okay, so let's really, let's just look at Jesus' Jewish life. I mean, he's not an outsider here. What, so some of that I'm, you know, like, I, well, let me just lay this foundation in your heart. Number one, Jesus' Jewish life. He's born to Jewish parents, okay? Dedicated and circumcised in the temple of Solomon. Eight days, you know, fulfilling the, uh, the, 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 the mandate there. Raised in a Jewish home, followed Jewish customs. So every, every weekend, he's in the, he's in the uh, temple for synagogue. He, he celebrated Passover. He celebrated Sabbath. I mean, do you remember when they lost Jesus? You remember that funny story? It's funny now. I bet it was terrible back then. You know, but where was he at? They found him. In the, in the temple, asking questions. I mean, that was, just, that was just his life. He was raised in a Jewish home, followed Jewish customs. He always honored the Old Testament, even quoted it 78 times. So I'm just saying Jesus is the, the Jewish person of Jewish persons. Look what he said about the Old Testament. He said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly I tell you, look what he says, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least, the stroke of the pen, by any means will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So not only is he quoting it, man, he's giving great honor and esteem to the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. So I'm just saying Jesus is not some outsider. Man, he was a Jewish person of Jewish people, okay? So the question, why don't they accept Jesus as the Messiah? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you not necessarily my answer. This answer comes from Samayach Tannenbaum College in Jerusalem. They have a forum called Ask the Rabbi, that somebody asked him this question. So I've pulled the answers here so that you can kind of 
get a true understanding of why they don't accept Jesus as the Messiah. So I'll give them to you really quickly. Number one, genealogy. The belief that Jesus is not a descendant of King David. Now we all know, okay, what the scripture says about the Messiah uh, and, and being connected with King David. Isaiah 9, one of the great Christmas stories of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing it, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time forward. So it says the Messiah will be in the line of of King David. Now, they don't believe that Jesus is in the line of King David. They would look at Joseph's genealogy, okay, and, and look at that. They don't, they don't believe in Mary's genealogy. You don't honor the, the, the mother's genealogy. You look at the father's, you know, in Jewish life, and they'll go all the way down, and because Joseph and Mary did not have sex, they believe that that cuts, cuts it off, and he is not a true descendant of King David, okay? That's that was just that's just kind of their their belief. So that's one thing. The genealogy they they think does not fit, you know. But part of that, and I'll talk about it in a moment. They don't believe in the miraculous conception either. So another thing, messianic prophecies unfulfilled. So they believe that when the Messiah comes, he'll bring peace to the world. Three things gather Jewish people from their exile to the land of Israel and rebuild the temple. And they'll go, look. Right, right after Jesus, you know, was killed, the temple was destroyed. There's been war throughout the, you know, there's been war throughout the world. So they go, hey, you know, when it comes to his predictions, you know, it just, it just, you know, it just didn't happen. Now, let me say too, about those three things, we as Christians would agree. In the messianic age, we believe there's going to be an era, you know, of peace. The temple will be rebuilt. Exiles will come back. You know, we, we believe that. But here's the deal. Here's the deal with that. You know, when Jesus came the very, when he came the first time, he didn't come as Messiah. He never did. All the times that they tried to go, hey, get your army. Hey, you know, let, let's, you know, when are you coming to restore the kingdom of Israel? When are, he, he was never about that at the first act. He was the suffering Savior that came to the world to bring salvation, okay? That's where he came. That's where he came first. But I want to say the Messiah part of Jesus, that's act two. If you think he's done, then you are wrong. Revelation says that there is a day that he comes back and he sits upon a white horse and there's fire in his eyes and on his head is many crowns and he's got an outer garment dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And I want to tell you, it's in that moment that those three things, the Messiahship of Jesus will happen. He came the first time as the suffering Savior, but when he comes back again, he's going to look a lot different. I want to tell you that. He's going to look a lot different, okay? The Messiah's qualification. They think the Messiah is a prophet, scholar, and a king. They don't feel like Jesus fit any of that. He was never anointed, you know, or put over Israel. They don't think he studied in any place that gave value. They don't think he's a scholar, some of that. And then I, I just wrote reading the rest of the article. And that whole link is in your version notes if you want to read that. Jewish people have a problem with Jesus' miraculous birth and his genealogy. Okay? Like, like the miraculous conception, they don't believe that that would happen. Okay? We have no problem believing of the divine inspiration that came through the Holy Spirit. But there's another part that they don't believe either, and that would be the humanity of Jesus. We believe it was this unique combination of God and man. They don't think that would exist at all. That God would humble himself. They can't get their minds around that, okay? That the Messiah himself wouldn't come to a palace, but would find his way to a manger, okay? That the, that the Messiah wouldn't live in splendor and glory, but he wouldn't have a place to lay his head. They can't get their mind around that. 
The fact that he would submit himself and die on a cross. They do not believe that a Messiah would do that. But I just want to tell you, to me, it completes the picture. It completes the picture of God reaching his hand down. He's not sitting in some throne ruling with his iron scepter upon us. But he came and he walked and he lived amongst us. And he took his sin upon our back and he was crucified. And you and I have new life because of that. Okay? All right? They don't, they don't believe in that genealogy and the humanity. They, 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 just, they, just, they just don't believe that. Okay? Now, listen. I just think no one, especially at that period of time, had a clear mess view of Jesus than the Jews that lived that time. And I say lovingly, I believe he came and they missed it. Okay? But he's not through with his plan of redemption. Okay? He's not through with this plan of, of redemption. Now, let me give you another term here because not every Jewish person thinks that way. There are others that are called Messianic Jews. They're Jewish people who've accepted Jesus as their Savior. Some of you may know people like that. They're fully Jewish people, but they've accepted Jesus as the Messiah. So there is an estimated 100 to 200,000 Messianic Jews worldwide and another 200,000 who worship in their in their congregations. It is estimated that there are approximately 15 to 16,000 openly Messianic Jews living in Israel and about 130 Messianic Jewish congregations. So in Israel itself, there's about 130 congregations that are housing, you know, 15 to 16,000 believers in Israel people who were fully Jewish but believe that believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So so that question doesn't necessarily represent every Jewish person because God is on the move and it doesn't matter where you live or what your religious background is. If you'll open up to Him, He'll save you, okay? He'll, he'll change your life. But what's funny, in Israel, it is against the law for a Gentile to convert a Jewish person away from Judaism like to Christianity. It's against the law. We have missionaries that get booted out all the time. That's why, you know, like that statistic is even more amazing because, man, they squash, you know, trying to invite people to church and uh, introduce them to, uh, to Christianity. So it's not for every Jewish person. There, there's a lot of them that have heard the voice of Jesus. Now, let me tell you the story of the ultimate Messianic Jew, okay? The ultimate one. All right, so here, here's the one that they don't like to hear about, but he's one that was fully, you know, committed to Judaism, but something happened in his life. I want you to read his testimony out of Philippians 3. I want you to read what the Apostle Paul says about being a Jewish person, but totally coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So look at this, Philippians 3. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he starts to list his Jewish resume. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In regards to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I was persecuting the church. Remember that? Remember in Acts, he was going from church to church and he was persecuting. So he's laying out his credentials of Judaism. He said, if you don't think I was committed, I was the one persecuting this new church. Keep going. He says, as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. He said, I took that Old Testament code, those Pharisaical laws, and I lived by them. He, he, he calls himself faultless. But look what happened in his life. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss, all that he had, a loss, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Look what he says. All that I had, I consider them garbage. 
All of those advantages that I had to you, I consider them as garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Look at this. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The ultimate testimony of the Messianic Jew. Okay? And I'll say, worship team, you can come. I think he found something that people that are just in religious systems will find that just a religious entity of its own is empty. Okay? It's just a bunch of rules and codes. But he found that there was more to his walk with God than just rules and codes. He found the person of Jesus. He found it. He said, every advantage that I had, and he didn't spare any, you know, he didn't care about their feelings. He said, all those advantages, they're like garbage to me. That I may found Christ. Okay? Wow. Wow. So when you look, when you look in the Old Testament, you kind of see this relationship with Jewish people it's kind of similar to today. They lived for God, saw his blessing. They strayed for God, saw the consequences of their sin. They come back to God, see the blessings of God, choose to live on their own. Man, come through God's chastisement, you know, just back, back and forth, back and forth. Because you can see that this covenant, you know, kind of provided them, you know, a little, you know, that, you know, this kind of God is at my fingertips at my convenience when I need him. Okay. And, and I want to say, I, I see that pattern a lot today of people who just want a God of convenience. You know, it's like God's up on the shelf. Hey, when I need him, I'm going to come get him. Okay? I'll open it up. Kind of like the genie. I'll get my three wishes. Let the Lord put everything back together in my life. And I'll put him back on the shelf again when I need him. And I just want to tell you something. God doesn't play God on the shelf. That may be the way that you view God but that is a hard way to live your life okay and the Hebrews saw that back and forth back and forth when it was convenient when they wanted to serve him and I want to tell you that's not the you know that's not the that's not the way that you know that that God wants to interact with you he doesn't want to just be there in times of trouble he wants to be there in times of joy and I say, if you've got him in your life all the time, maybe there's some parts of your life that you, you know, that you, you wouldn't need him. Maybe he can eliminate some things out of your life as well when you make him, when you make him number one. So listen, I said, I think the Jewish people had a wonderful view of Jesus and they missed it. But lovingly, God will give them another opportunity as well. And I want to say to some people out here as well and online, some of you have had a wonderful view, a close-up view of Jesus. Some of you raised in church, you know, I'm, I'm telling you things that, that, that aren't new knowledge to you, okay? You know, you just kind of didn't take advantage of that, you know? There may be some of you here this morning, you know, like, I, I mentioned that the pandemic has been brutal in every way, but I, I've seen it cause spiritual havoc in people's lives. Maybe you're listening to me today, here live or online, and you look up kind of like the beach. You, know, you look up, man, you're far where you should be. And sometimes it's imperceivable. The drift is so slow, but you look back now, and man, it's definite. It's definite. 
So this morning, I want to call you back. Okay? I want to call you back. If you've been a prodigal, you kind of just drifted in your faith. This is God's sign to you. Today's the day to come back. I said the welcome home sign is always up at the Father's house. I don't care what you've done. don't care where you've been. Come back. You drifted. Come back. You've kind of used him as a God of convenience. It's okay. You can start new. You can start new today. You can start new today. You're going to put a prayer up on the screen, okay? And this may be for some of you this morning. It's a very simple prayer, but just asking God, just kind of reorienting your life back to faith in Jesus. I want to tell you, you can put him on the shelf, okay? You can put him on the shelf and, you know, you can always pray to him and always go to him, but that's not the way he wants to live your life. He wants to be the center and the cornerstone, and I promise it'll be a, it will be a decision you'll never regret when you fully turn your life over to Jesus and you live for him. This prayer, I'm going to read it. Man, and if that's you, man, I just want you to kind of read it and pray it this morning, okay? Lord, I'm a sinner. I need and I want your forgiveness. I accept your death as the penalty for my sin. And I recognize that your mercy and grace is a gift you offer me because of your great love, not based on anything that I've done. Cleanse me and make me your child. By faith, I receive you into my heart as the Son of God and the Savior and the Lord of my life. Help me to live for you with you in control. In Jesus' name. That, that's it. That, that's the prayer of reorienting at this, at this moment. If you're a prodigal and you've been far away, that prayer brings you, brings you back into the Father's grace and forgiveness. Okay? Would you stand this morning? Would you stand? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Every head bow just for a moment. We're fixing to dismiss. Hey, if you're here today, you're not where you should be with the Lord. Maybe there's been some drift in your life. Maybe you've kind of walked away. Hey, there's no condemnation here. There's only salvation. And if you just say, Pastor, hey, I'm just not where I should be with the Lord this morning. Would you pray for me? Just real quick, would you just raise your hand up and down? Say, I'm just not where I should be this morning. Hey, I see your hand today. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, listen, if you prayed that prayer that we put on the, the board, that starts the turn. You know, but also, man, I want you to come. I'm going to be down here at the front for a few moments after church. I'd love to talk with you, message with you, and start on this start on this new journey. Okay? Amen. Amen. So come see me. Let me let me pray with you. Let us let us know. Fill out the the connect card. We'll be in touch with you this morning. So, hey, listen. Thanks for coming this morning. Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? God is good. God is good. God is good. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.